0: Welcome to the Cap City Church Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. We're going to be carrying on, or kicking off, or taking the next step, whatever you want to call it. Luke gave us a great introduction last week, and I want to take it a little bit more um, further forward. But I have to go back just a little bit into the back end of, if we can have it, please. The back end of, uh, this this is the theme. God has a plan. Whatever you think is going on in your life, whatever you think at the moment you're facing, whatever situation is going on that you might feel is rotten, is terrible, is whatever. God has a plan. He has a plan for Cap City. He has a plan for you and me as individuals. He has a plan for this world. It might look as if everything has gone to pot. And in fact, this last week, as you, if you've watched any amount of TV and watched all the, the funeral prep and all the lying in state and everything else, you'd think the world had come to an end. But it hasn't. And whilst we had a a fabulous queen, a lovely Christian queen who really has influenced our nation and the world, because she's gone to glory doesn't mean that the world has suddenly come to an end. Not yet anyway. But Jesus is in control. God has a plan. He's got a plan for you and for me. And sometimes, whatever we're facing might feel, Lord, I don't know what this plan is, but he's got a plan. You know, some of the things that Carla and I have faced down the years, with our son's illness, with our daughter's uh, dyslexia, and with various other things that have gone on in our family lives, and that we could have so easily said, ah, blow this. But God's got a plan. God's got your life. In the middle of that plan and if we take it to the next slide this comes from the end of genesis the last chapter the if you remember the story of joseph how uh, he got sold off by his brothers into slavery and they took him he was taken into egypt they lied to his dad and said well you you know he's he's been uh, devoured by animals and all this thing and they brought back this wonderful coat he had you know the many colors and all that sort of thing he brought it back all stained in blood and all the rest but they told the father he's dead and that was pretty tragic but towards the if you read the story of genesis it's it's wonderful how god uses joseph he goes through rough times but he goes through terrible times but he ends up in a high position of power in egypt and he is able to Um, help and support the people through very difficult times and his brothers who came from canaan now if you know um the middle east i was going to try and find a map but i tell you it's hard to get a map with everything in that i wanted to show you it shows you a bit here and a bit there and a bit there and so i didn't so i'm relying on the fact that we all did at some point geography or we've all you've either been to Shah sharm el sheikh or you've been to akaba on holiday or you egypt or somewhere like that you've been to israel or jordan you've been there and you've seen some of the the geography but if you've got any idea of the geography you've got you've got uh, israel that comes down i've got to do it this way around otherwise you'll see it the wrong back to front you? you've got israel that sweeps round. you've got the gaza comes down and then you come to the sinai peninsula and the Sinai Peninsula today belongs to Egypt. And you've got this peninsula. One side, you've got the Gulf of Aqaba. The other side of the Gulf, you've got the Suez. Actually, the other way around, sorry. And you, you've got these and you've got it there. And you, so you've got, the e, you've got Egypt then with the Nile and the, and the Nile Delta going up. Uh, Egypt is the northernmost um, part of Africa, northeasternmost part of Africa, I should say. And uh, so you see this, and then Saudi Arabia is on the other side of the Sanger Peninsula. Sorry, that side. And, uh, you know, where today we know the whole sort of Arab world really tries to revolve around Saudi Arabia, although it's, there's all sorts of disputes about, about it. But it's a fascinating part of the world. But if you look back in history, you see where Israel is today, coming down. That was where it was known as Canaan, and that's where you got the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the otherites all living in that area that Israel had to fight and overcome. Now that's what. That's the reason why that is such a popular part of the world if you're there it's so sought after so when land is important to the Palestinians and to the Israelites and to anybody else there simply because it's so fertile compared to the rest if you've ever been some years ago I had the my son and daughter-in-law were working in Jordan and they were working with refugees from Syria and learning Arabic at the same time and so we went to stay in man with them and they took us all the way down to um, Aqaba and uh, we're a lovely lovely time there and uh, thoroughly recommend it you know there's a brilliant hotel there with a, an infinity pool you know Carla really enjoyed that um, but you could look out onto the Sinai Peninsula which is Egypt and uh, it's an incredible part of the world but it is hot and it is dry it's incredibly hot so hot i got heat stroke when i was there i didn't drink enough i i wasn't careful enough but you know beautiful part of the world but very dry the people are lovely they were so welcoming so generous we went out for a meal one night and we ordered a meal and we didn't just get the meal because it was a slow night we got everybody else's meal as well you know they just kept bringing food out to us it was fabulous i tell you it's, uh, if you want the name of the restaurant you can check with us later but if you ever go on holiday down that part of the world uh, you'll see a totally different way of life totally different you'll it's like biblical times you'll see the shepherds with their sheep and their goats and all the rest walking them up the side of the road and uh, it's just incredible part of the world but very different but you know all of what we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks is all centered on that part of the world egypt sinai um, peninsula into cana and even Midian, and Midian, which comes out at one point, is now what we see as Saudi Arabia. It comes down the coast there of uh, what is today Saudi Arabia. So that is the sort of backdrop geographically. Now, some of you didn't like geography at school, and I can see that you're... <sniffs> well, I'll try and wake you up a little bit. But that's where the story is. And it was during the time of a pharaoh and there were lots of pharaohs but there's some dispute as to which pharaoh it was and you notice that you're never given the name of the pharaoh and the nearest we've ever got is that it's somewhere around the time of perhaps ramesses ii or his his son or one of those it's either the, the ninth or the tenth dynasty it's in that the end of the ninth dynasty beginning of the tenth dynasty It's somewhere around that time but it is interesting that we don't get to know the pharaoh's name and it's not actually there's only one apparently um only one recorded instance where there's something said about the children of israel in egypt but in fact it's it's just not much said about it and that was quite typical you know we have a, a ruler today who doesn't want to be it known that he's at war with the country next door and so he's calling it a military exercise but you know no ruler really wants to tell you about their, their, their failures. No leader wants it recorded. Now today, we've got social media, we've got all these sort of things, and so we'd soon know, we'd soon hear of failures, military failures or anything else. But back then, they just decided not to record it. So it wasn't recorded on, you know, in stone or anything like that, in clay, and then um, heated up and made like, you know what I mean, fired up and and kept. Nothing like that was recorded. There's a proper word for it, but it's gone out of my head at the moment. But none none of that was done, because they didn't want the Pharaoh's failure to be recorded in history. So it's a very blank period of history, and the only way that we know about it is through the Bible, through Exodus. Although there are the beginnings of some... Research over recent years that's beginning to see get some light on it and it's uh, it, but it needs to be verified a lot more because you know what archaeologists are like they don't want to go by just one incident they want to be able to all scientists they don't want to just have a one-off they want it verified in lots of different ways which is only right and you notice through this story of in um, Exodus 1 and 2 that the only people that really get named are the people who are God's people the main players God's people God gives us a name in history God gives us a name he talks to us by name he's interested in you by name so we notice that uh, if you know the story, the story where here we 've got a, a king who's worried because in his country he has probably because it was you had Joseph and his brothers came down and in the time of one Pharaoh and they asked for help because there was such a famine in their land that they couldn't uh, they couldn't didn't have enough to to live on and that, and the Nile Delta is very fertile, so you've got Israel and Gaza all that area was very fertile and so was the the Nile Delta and around that area but of course Israel was or I should say Canaan was having a Canaan was having a a terrible drought and farmers and people couldn't feed their their their, uh, their animals they couldn't feed their flocks and so, basically, what happened was they moved down to where there were, it was fertile, and they asked Pharaoh, "Can we come and live here and bring our people here to live amongst you, so we can all be fed, so we can all?" And Pharaoh said, "Fine, come." Made friends with them, and they they were in his favour, and uh, it all came down to Joseph, because years before Joseph became quite a high official in pharaoh's household so he was open to these hebrews that were coming down and asking for help and it's interesting how at times god sends ambassadors first into places to make a way to prepare a way and sometimes he, he might ask one of you here to be an ambassador for him into an area that's not normally covered by uh, by believers but he wants you in there he's called you to be in there to be an ambassador to bring about an opportunity and that's what he did with joseph but because his brothers came down and they were always a bit iffy about him because joseph was the kind of guy he was not short in in actually saying what he thought god thought of him so he would bring out he would he'd have visions he'd have uh, Things, and he would share them with his brothers. And he all, you know, there was one in particular where he said, You know, I'm going to be great, and you're all going to bow down to me. Well, you can imagine what a group of brothers would do with that, don't you? And that's why he ended up in captivity. He ended up in captivity. But they came down years later on another uh, famine time. Well, on a famine time, they came down. And they didn't recognize him. He recognized them. He knew exactly what they'd done. And it's a fascinating story. I'm not going to go into all the story, but it's a fascinating story of what happens, how he brings them back, how he keeps contact with them, how he reveals himself to them. It'd make a great drama for Telly, I tell you. But, you know, how all of this happens, and then he reveals himself. But they're still not very nice to him at times and you know but they they live there and at the end of Genesis we have this uh, we have that quote that was made how can we have it up again please uh, thank you you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid I will provide for you and your children they've gone seeking repentance before him and forgiveness but he said this was his comment Now, the beginning of exodus is many generations later we have a pharaoh who comes up come, takes a charge who is put on the throne who doesn't know anything about his history and that's something worrying when you get a leader who doesn't know his history it's important that leaders in particular should know their history and he didn't know his history. And uh, the people of, uh, the Hebrew people had settled in Goshen, which is the northeastern part of the Nile Delta, very fertile. And they had, in the words of Genesis chapter 28 and also Exodus 7, they had been fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them wow they obeyed god they obeyed the genesis command and they just fruit they were fruitful they just multiplied and this pharaoh he saw instead of people who can bless me people who can be a blessing he saw a threat and we see this all the way through history we see it today we see it in all sorts of situations we see the you know different governments Particularly authoritarian governments, how they will punish and put into prison people who do not uh, fall into their plan. We saw, we've seen it in China with Christians. They thought they could suppress Christians, and what have we got? We've got one of the most thriving churches in the world today in China, underground church. They didn't do much suppressing it, did they? God had a different plan. God had a plan. And we've seen it in other other situations too where God has just blessed His people. So, but this new Pharaoh had a plan. This was how he was going to destroy them. And if you turn, if you've got a Bible with you, you don't have to, but uh, I'm going to just go through the story with you. But we see in Exodus how he wanted to oppress the Israelites. He wanted to take, in a sense. He wanted to drive them into the ground so that they, they wouldn't be strong because they were on the border. He was afraid that they would become so strong that if the enemies, the, his enemies over the other side of the border wanted to come in and uh, and invade the land, that they would take their side. And he does the very thing that's likely to actually create that without realizing it. But... He starts. He says this. I'm worried about the numbers. Now, if we read Numbers one, you'll see that, and you multiply those numbers. They do. I'm not going to recite the numbers now. But if you put all the numbers together of uh, Numbers one of Israel, that was done when they were up in the Sinai Desert, uh, and you add in the wives and you and the women and the children, that was. Uh, they were probably in the nile delta about two million people now that's a thought isn't it so when moses took leadership of those people and i'm not don't tread on anybody else's toes whoever's preaching on this but they were dealing with about two thousand people two million sorry two million people it's a lot of people it's a lot of people that's how much they had multiplied And so he started this. He got some of his men and he said, Well, right, we're gonna I want to want to put them into hard labor. I want you to just get in there and start making sure that they built I want to build two cities. And they weren't quite cities, they were armories really, places where because he was so afraid of the threat of being invaded, he built two places. And he built one called Ramesses and one called I think it was Piton. And he built these two cities so that they would be safe harbors for all his armory. So if he was invaded, then he'd he'd have all the the weapons he needed. But he got the Israelites to do it, and he did it through hard labor. And the more, the stronger they got, the stronger uh, the oppressors became to the, the people of Israel. And they just kept at them. Ruthlessly whipping them, beating them. Now, if you think you've got a bad employer, just be glad you haven't got these guys because they were really ruthless. They made everybody work. Not only that, but then he decided that because of this threat, he was also going to encourage the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and there's two mentioned, but they were probably in charge of many others as well, when you think of two million people. But he got these women together, and he said, and their names are recorded. Let's see what their names are. Anybody find their names in that passage? Chapter 1, if you can read them out. Now, one of them, I'm assured by my uh, granddaughter yesterday is the name of a character out of Moana is it more out of Moana which was interesting well her name was Pua now you can imagine how funny the kids will find that Pua and the other one Shipra that's right so you had Shipra and Pua and these two women who obviously feared the Lord and they were called to stand up against um, the the production. Of, let's put that in a better better language. They were they were asked. They were told that they had to kill any newborn males. And talks about the the on the stool. They'd be sat on the birthing stool there, and they'd watch. And they'd, basically, a birthing stool was just two stones that they, you know, would sit on, or perhaps the woman's hand. The feet were on and uh, if they came a baby came out that was a boy they were meant to kill it straight away as far as the pharaoh's was, concer- was concerned and you can imagine that would have caused an incredible amount of grief but of course they lied to the, the pharaoh and uh and it has been said so there are some gynecologists that would say that women who are not delicate and who work hard probably give birth easier or whatever no I don't want to get into that because that may not be true but I've heard it's it said it's not I don't know whether it's you know factually scientifically proven but that's one of the things that's been said probably not true but anyway the women were saying they these two women he wanted to know why haven't you killed the boys and said well the women are too vigorous They give birth too quickly. By the time we get there, the baby's come. And we can't do anything about it. The baby's born. And without uh, too much ado, there's a hidden message behind that because what they were in fact saying was the Hebrew women are very quick and easy at birth, unlike the Egyptian women. Now, that's the underlying message behind that, that the Egyptian women are too fragile and that they don't give birth that easily so whether that was true or not we don't know but it certainly that was the implied message behind that and so they said we just can't do it they've been born you know so he ramps it up to the next level and he tells the people of egypt all the egyptians that if you see a young hebrew male baby I want you to take it and throw it into the Nile. Now, that's, you may think, that's really, why the Nile? Because the Nile was used for washing, it was used for drinking water, it was used for everything for for life. They worshipped the Nile. The Nile was something sacred to the Egyptians. But it's remembering that it's also the home of one of their gods. The, uh, they had a god who was a crocodile, as you do. They had a crocodile god. You probably, if you've ever been to Egypt and you've looked at any of the sculptures or anything like that, or the, the paintings, you'll have seen a picture of what looks like a human with a, a crocodile head. And it was the, uh, this, they had this crocodile that they worshipped as well. And it was one way of actually feeding that crocodile so you see it's by throwing these babies in the water the the, the whole message behind it is that we're we're worshiping the Nile and we're worshiping the crocodile and so these these babies they were encouraging them to be thrown away and that's the backdrop to Moses birth and Moses mum had this little baby she she married a man uh, a Levite man And her name was Jochebed, and she gave birth. She'd already had a daughter, at least one daughter, and she gave birth to this little male boy called Moses. Now, you can imagine, uh, it says in chapter two that she looked on this little baby, and she thought, wow, what a beautiful baby. And what mother doesn't do that? You know, you see your baby, and your baby is the best-looking baby in the world. Is that not right, mothers? Yeah? There's nobody else, you know, around who compares to your child. Nobody else. Even if you're a grandparent, there's nobody as beautiful and lovely as your grandchildren. They're the best in the world, you know. And that's, that's only natural. And she looks at this baby, and she thinks, wow, what a fine child." She gets really caught up with it and she wants to keep this child hidden away. And she manages to do that for three months. She manages to keep this baby hidden away for three months. Don't ask me how, because babies make an awful lot of noise. But she was able to keep the baby hidden. But by the time the baby became three months old, it was too big, there was too much activity, too much movement, too much noise she had to somehow hide the baby in a different way and they always say it's my dad always used to say I shouldn't tell you this but he always always used to say if you want to park illegally park in front of a police station you know park right under their noses now this is the the sort of sentiment of that was done here and what did she do she found a basket and it was one obviously with a lid big enough for a three-month-old baby to rattle around in three-month-old babies are not small you know they can be pretty heavy they can you know yeah and they can make a lot of noise too but she found this basket and she covered it in pitch she put the baby in the in in this basket and she floated it amongst the bulrushes in the nile now not many people necessary who were zealots amongst the Egyptians if they were throwing babies into the Nile would necessarily pick up that there's a little basket there in the bulrushes and so she put it put the baby in a sense under their noses now this is indicates another story of God saving his people remember the time of Noah and how the ark was built And how that ark was built to take out God's next generation, next chosen people into safety. And there's a sense, there's so many images in this, you know, when you go through Exodus that relate to other parts. Now, I know some of this can seem very dry, but it's a lovely story. And as you go through it, you see that they did this. And one of the beautiful things she did, she said to Miriam, who was his older sister, I want you to stand on the side on the bank at a little bit of a distance, out the way where people can't see you, and I want you to keep an eye on him. Now, what on earth this girl was meant to do, I got a feeling they probably went down at night and put the baby in the basket there. And that. And Miriam was there with her mum, Jockabed. And she's just said, now, I want you to watch over him. So probably she was saying, I want you to take him, you know, if he needs feeding, let, let me know. If he needs, uh, you know, anything, any comfort, nappy changing or anything like that, you do it. But look after him. If you hear him crying, soothe him, but then get back out the way again. Now, I'm just reading into this because I, if you looked after a baby it, for any length of time, you'll know that you just can't leave them in a basket and that's it. You'll have to care for it. You'll have to do things because it's going to get very uncomfortable. And that baby, if it's hungry, will make more and more noise and will become more and more distressed. And so, you know, she was there looking after it. We don't know how long the baby was in that situation. But one day, along came the Pharaoh's daughter, Princess. She was walking down the side of the Nile with her entourage and she was wanting to have a bathe. And then, as she looked in the, into the water and into the reeds, she could see the bulrushes, I should say. She could see that there was a, something there in the water. And she asked the servant girl, Will you go and get it for me? And when she opened it, she could see that it was obviously a baby, but she knew immediately it was a Hebrew baby there was enough of a difference in looking and notice that this is uh, um, pre the uh, circumcision and that sort of thing so it wouldn't have been that that wouldn't have been the the indicator but she knew that it was a baby Uh, she knew it was a hebrew baby now this is how god looks after us god says i've got a plan mother jochebed would have been worried to pieces not knowing what to do we had the the midwives who did what god told them to do and they did it because they feared the lord the scripture said they feared the lord and you read on a little bit in the passage there, it says, because they feared the Lord, the Lord multiplied, blessed them with their families. And here's another situation of blessing. Here was somebody who wanted to keep their baby alive. No knowledge of what he was going to be, what he was going to do. We don't know what our children are going to become. We don't know what God is going to do through them. He just. But God asks us to look after them, to lead them, to guide them, to but ultimately they're under his care that's why when jesus took the children he said suffer the little children to come to me he says he said about children for such is the kingdom of heaven talking about childlike faith and you know god is interested in children sometimes as brits we can have this idea that children should be kept aside seen and not heard and that's why i'm glad we've not got that mentality in this church we want our children to be involved we want them to know more i'm so glad we've got the star fish alliance going because we're interested in children because these are the next generation that god wants to touch and use and do something for the next generation and actually their generation now so it's important we have a good attitude before god about it and Jochebed she didn't have a clue that her son was going to be Moses who delivered the people of Israel but the Pharaoh's daughter took him out and Miriam was very bright girl she immediately instead of panicking and thinking oh goodness what's going to happen now she's going to throw him in the Nile and feed the crocodile god or whatever she ran down to the bank and she said do you want a wet nurse for this child I can get you a Hebrew woman who can wet nurse him and she said yes bring bring her to me so she brought her mum to him and you can imagine what was put yourself in Jochebed's thinking and she brought Jochebed to, to her and the princess said I want you to look after this baby to feed it to nurse it to bring it to full health and strength and she must have said i want you once the child is old enough i want you to bring the child to me at the palace because we read that sometime later when the child is obviously old enough to to come she brought it brought him to the the palace and she named him moses which in hebrew sounds like pulled out the one who is pulled out um but she obviously said it in Egyptian but it, it's interesting how some languages are such that a word can mean sound like another word in a different language and she she called him Moses the one who's pulled out the one who's pulled out and he becomes the one who pulls out the children of Israel and how God blesses and looks after him and he gains a position in the palace where he receives egyptian education egyptian feeding egyptian status he receives all of these things even though he was a hebrew god's favor was there to make sure that this child had the education and the upbringing he needed to do the job that was going to come down the road to him now that's the kind of god that we serve he has a better plan. He has a better plan. The people, when they were being persecuted, didn't dwindle. They grew in numbers. The Hebrew midwives committed civil disobedience by not carrying out the Pharaoh's command. And they told him a lie uh, uh, when they were challenged. And, you know, as a result, God prospered them. But here, this little boy born to a hebrew couple an ordinary couple a levite couple were there bringing up they had this wonderful opportunity for their son to be treated as an egyptian ruler so what can we learn from this story and this is the bit that i really want to get to for us as a church god has a plan for us And even though we may go through hard times, hard difficulties, God's plan is still going to be there. God will still be there. You know, you might go through a hard time in in your life. But, you know, God is still the same. He's there with you. He has a plan for you. He's there to see you through it. He's going to bring you through it. Now, these people had to wait for their redemption, and they were going through some terrible treatment, but they had to wait for this young man to grow up to, till he was in his 40s. So they had to wait 40 years before he was ready to do the task in hand. And sometimes God's answer to a situation takes time. You know, he, he's not in a hurry as we are. He's not in a hurry as we are. You know, sometimes I want God to answer prayer, and I want it now. I'm like a petulant child. I want it now, God. Please, now, answer my prayer. This is hard. I don't like it. Get me out of it. You know, I'm like that child that's tugging on its parents. Can we do it now? Can we do it now? And you say, to parents, not now. We'll do it later. Now, Dad. Now, Mum. And they're there, and we can be like that with God. With some of the things in our lives and sometimes we have to be prepared to put those things in a basket put it to one side and let God look after it now there may be things in your life that God wants you to put in a basket put aside things that he wants to do in your life things that he wants to do for us as a church he wants us to put it To one side not to forget about it to keep it there before him just as Miriam and Jochebed did but he wants us to put it there aside he wants you just to know that it's it's there he understands he sees it but the timing isn't right and there are some those times in history when God does things and it's at the right time Jesus came The scripture teaches us at the right time. Now the people, you you would have thought, why didn't God bring salvation to us as people through Jesus right at the beginning of time after Adam and Eve had sinned? Why didn't he do something about it then? But God has his purposes. He knows what's right for us. He knows what um, the right purpose is for things. But on this occasion... They had to wait 40 years before Moses was ready. And even then, he was a reluctant leader. But I'll leave somebody else to talk about that. But you know, God will take us and he'll say, I just want you to put it in a basket. Now, you may have things in your life, things that you think, "I I want an answer to that. I want that to happen. But God says, "Put it in the basket. I won't forget it. I'm not saying it's it's the wrong time for you. I'm not saying it's not going to ever happen for you. But I want you to put it in the basket. Put it aside. I was, if I'd have hadn't, if I'd have thought about it. I, you know, you have these thoughts too late sometimes. But I had thought, and I I was going to do something which I've." I've seen Sammy do on quite a few occasions to pull out a, you know, some um, sticky, what do they call them? Post-it notes, right, And pass out pens and say, write in there and have a basket going around. And you can put it in a basket and we'll pray over it. Now, I didn't get time and it, the thought came too late. But maybe that's something to do when you get home to put, to get yourself a little basket. I know... We've got plenty in our house, but maybe a little basket. Write something down and put it in that basket That something that you really want God to look after and do for you. And put it there. Maybe the basket will be a journal, a prayer journal, where you can write in there, you know, something that you want. And somewhere where you keep a record for answered prayer. Put it there. Write it down. Ask God to, to answer and just leave it with him. Trust him. One of the biggest things I find as believers that we struggle with is trust. Do we really trust God? Do we trust him that he will answer a prayer? Do we trust him? Sometimes some of our prayers we won't see in our lifetime answered. And sometimes, you know, I heard of people who prayed for their family for years and years and years. And they've gone to the grave without hearing them become Christians only to find out that years later um, if they were alive they'd have seen their family become followers of Jesus you know sometimes we've just got to trust God to answer those prayers but we keep faithful in that sometimes God does it in a way that we don't expect as well and uh, I bet Jochebed and Miriam were thinking well, this is a, a real turn-up for the book. We weren't expecting God to answer prayer like this. We weren't expecting this to happen in our lives. We weren't expecting our baby to be looked after quite like this. You know, and she could take the baby home and feed the baby, look after the baby, and if anybody came along and said, you say, well, the princess said, princess has given me control of the baby. You know, just the protection and the, of a vision, of a, of a hope, of a dream, the way God does things. God has a plan. Do we trust God with that plan? As a church, as individuals, do we trust God with that plan? with your life, with what's happening to you. You may be looking at things and thinking, this isn't working out how I wanted it to work out. Do you trust God to look after it? Being in my late 60s, I can say that it does. God does work things out. Not all, I'm still waiting for some things to work out, but God does work things out. God does answer prayer. God does these things, these miracles. But sometimes we've just got to learn patience. Patience is something I realize as I get older, I I have plenty of, but I didn't when I was younger. And I wish sometimes I'd had that patience when I was younger. But God will do it in his time. God has a plan and he will accomplish it in his time. The thing is, once he starts to do it, we've got to be ready to go with it. We've got to be ready. However, it works out. It may be totally different to what you expect, but we need to be ready. Ready to go with it. So, get your basket ready with your note in it. Put it to one side. Trust God to answer the prayer, but be ready. Remember we were doing the armor of God some weeks ago and your feet were shod with the readiness of the gospel. There's that being ready for God. Being ready for his plan. Being ready to do what he wants. Being in that place of readiness. Are you ready? God might want to do it tomorrow. But then again, it might be another, however long before he does what he wants to do in your life. But are you ready? It's like the women with the, uh, you know, um, the bridegroom was coming and there were those with the, the lamps. Some of them went off and made sure that the lamps were trimmed and ready and plenty of oil, and some of them just thought they'd leave it to the last minute, and then they didn't have any. It's all to do with where we are in our attitude to God. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do with capacity? Are you ready to do his work in your life? Are you ready to follow him? Might take time, but are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we need you to come and ready us for whatever it is that you've got for us. And however long it takes, we still want to stay faithful and ready we want to be there even if you change the um, the way we think you ought to do it even if our own thinking has to be remolded lord we want to be ready help us to to put our dreams in a place where we can keep an eye on them and they can be ready for you to enact them in the way that you want to do them lord it, some of those things dreams might be very precious like baby moses some of those things to us may be real heart issues that go deep within us the lord help us to hand them to you to trust you to pray over them but to trust you Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.